Welcome to North Coast Calvary Chapel's audio podcast. Today, we'll be continuing our series in Acts. Happy Father's Day. I was telling some of the people backstage, happy daughter day and happy son, S-O-N day. So I hope everybody's having a good day today. You know, I heard a great quote, it'll apply to our message later on, but uh, this morning, uh, sometimes there's a, there's a really random show that most of you have never heard of, and some of you will think that it's uh, uh, sacrilegious, but it's, it's called The Jesus Christ Show. Uh, it's, it's on AM 600, and it's actually a chef that's usually on the news, and, and uh, he has a, uh, a Catholic priest training background, and so he does this on the side on Sunday mornings, and it's called the, the Jesus Christ Show, and he says, I am here to, to talk about your personal issues, and I am your holy host, and, and so the first time I heard that, I said, whoa, <laughs> and I, I realized that uh, he, he's just playing a part, but it, it's the idea if you could call in and talk to Jesus about scripture, about personal issues, about, and um, so I've listened to it for maybe 15 years, I, you know, and I, I'm over the sacrilegious part because I've listened to all, he's, he's really, really good. I mean, it's good doctrine, good everything, you know, but um, this morning he was saying that our world today has um, sanctified negativity, that if you're negative, you're more honest than if you're positive. If you're cynical, you're more honest. If you're pessimistic, you're more honest. And if you come in and just say, hey, it's a great day, you're a Pollyanna person who is not in touch with the real world. But I thought about that. I said, oh my gosh, that is really, really true. And particularly in, in our society today, uh, if you extrapolate that and say, well, how many uh, churches have you been that, that uh, you would say, oh, I don't like that church. And you know that because of that church, I don't believe in any churches. Or, and if you extrapolate that and say, uh, I saw a really bad family. I don't believe in families. Or I saw a really bad love relationship between a guy and a gal. It just really was volatile. I don't believe in love anymore. You know, we don't do that, but with certain things, we do. We see a bad apple, and we say, I don't believe in that anymore. And we have to kind of contain ourselves and say, okay, um, am I drinking the Kool-Aid here? The Kool-Aid of negativity. And what would it be if I, rather than celebrating what's wrong in the world, I began to celebrate and focus, not denying the wrong, because we have to be prophets, we have to be critics, but uh, keeping our heart and our mind uh, free of the... Uh, the toxicity that wants to invade my life and look at life uh, with a little bit more of God's perspective. And, um, and as I concentrate on the positivity uh, of what's good, uh, then I, that loops back around and affects me today. So on Father's Day, happy Father's Day, everyone. And uh, there's, there's some people here in this world that have a broken story about a dad that shoulda, coulda, why didn't he, you know, or a dad here that's beaten himself up and say, ah, oh, I didn't do a good job and everything else. And um, absolutely, I think we all have uh, stories in our life where as dads, at least I do, Oh, I wish I would have done this. And I wish I hadn't have done that. And then towards my dad, I wish, wish. Um, but what about the positive? You know, what about the positive that, that happened? I'm not going to charge you for that one. That was just on my heart. I was just talking to someone <laughs> backstage. They're going to deduct that from my minutes for the sermon this morning. 
Father, we pray that you would be with us as we study your word. We thank you for the feast of your word this morning. And we ask that you would open our eyes to see what you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, I wore a a new Hawaiian shirt last night, and I froze to death. You know, someone told me that's in the garment industry, the surf industry, that Hawaiian shirts are coming back in, but they have a new kind of style, a new kind of print and everything else. And so I went out and got one, and I absolutely froze. So I'm back to winter clothes. But I have a feast prepared for you today, and um, you know, when we have our family over for Father's Day, we're going to have Cardiff Crack, and uh, for those of you that don't know what that is, uh, you know, you just have to be offended by that and and, and research it, but uh, it's legal. And uh, the, the, then we're going to move on to some amazing vegetables. And by the way, there's going to be uh, some poultry dish and, and some vegetarian dish and everything else for everybody. And then uh, we'll move on to some amazing vegetables. And then we'll move on to some chocolate pecan pie, homemade. And um, so I've kind of prepared something similar to that this morning from Acts chapter 16. There's something here for everybody. If you're here just for Father's Day, right at the front end, there's going to be something about fathering. Uh, If you're here because you don't have a clue of what the will of God is for your life, we're going to talk about that. And then at the end, we're going to talk about the power of praise to set us free from our emotional prisons that we live in. So here we go. We're in Acts chapter 16. And when it comes to fatherhood... Uh, I have felt that fatherhood is greatly minimized. The, the importance of fatherhood is greatly minimized, and I've been encouraged by some scientific research that's starting to come out that's actually studying the biology. Uh, so far, they haven't got beyond mice, but it's there in the mice, and they're making correlations with, uh, with humans, but uh, we need to follow through with that. But you are, dad, as dads, you are valuable. And uh, we need to be fathers to our families and spiritual fathers uh, to sons and daughters in our church that are looking for role models of how do we do this thing called life. So as we look at verse 1 of chapter 16, Paul came to Derby and then to Lystra where a disciple named Timothy lived whose mother was Jewish and a believer, and whose father was a Greek. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they traveled, it it makes you not want to travel with Paul. As they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. The map on the screen will show you Paul's second missionary journey. If if you'll remember, his first journey started at Antioch and went over here to the island of Cyprus and then straight up here to the central part of modern-day Turkey, Uh, but now Paul is going overland, and he's going to pass his hometown of Tarsus, where he grew up in southeastern Turkey. Remember, Turkey at this time has no Turks living in it. The Turks didn't come till uh, about 10 or 11 AD and came in there, and they weren't even Muslim when they came in there. And then later on, they became Muslim, and then you have the story of the Ottoman Turks and so forth. So these are largely Greeks that have settled all throughout this area that we call Turkey. In those days, it was called Asia Minor. And so he goes overland to visit the towns that he's already visited before in his first missionary journey. Derby, Lystra, and Iconium. He has converts all in that area, but 
he meets a man who was not converted at the time that he came through, and this man's name is Timothy. We don't know the age of Timothy. It could have been as young as 18. He could have been in his mid-20s. But somehow, all these people are recommending Timothy to Paul, saying, this guy is anointed. This guy has a calling on his life. And so Paul makes a difficult decision. He knows that Timothy's mother is Greek, excuse me, of Jewish, and his father is Greek. Now, if you're Gentile, that doesn't mean anything to you, but if you are Jewish, and we have a large population of Jewish people in our congregation, which I'm thrilled about, uh, just as um, I'm thrilled about any interracial, intergenerational, intergender mixture that we have here, uh, you'll know that having a Jewish mother is very, very important, that that establishes you as a Jew. So Timothy uh, needing to be circumcised so that he is bonafide Jewish to Jews. Paul wants him to minister to Jews and to Gentiles. He has that ability now because of his upbringing to bat left-handed and right-handed, to go both ways interculturally. And so Paul takes that risk. Paul always had this idea. He understands that, and, and it actually says here in the text uh, that he delivered in verse 4, he delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. The decision in Jerusalem was you are saved by faith alone in Jesus Christ. There's nothing you can do to save yourself. So if you're waiting to commit your life to Jesus Christ to get good enough, forget about it. It's never going to happen. Every one of us are sinners. Every one of us has fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us needs outside help, and that's Jesus. So when we put our faith in him, we're actually saying, you're my savior, I'm not my savior. You died for my sins, I can't propitiate for my sins. You are my redeemer, I am not. And I now begin to follow him. So then the Jews in Jerusalem, who were all the first Christians, the first tens of thousands of Christians were all Jewish. They weren't Gentile. Jesus, this might surprise you, was Jewish. The disciples were Jewish. Uh, all of the writers of the New Testament were Jewish. Uh, surprise! It's a Jewish religion that we Gentiles have been adopted into. So the question becomes, what is required of Gentiles since they weren't raised with the law, with the dietary law, they weren't raised in, in kosher food, they weren't raised in sacrifices, they weren't raised in cleansing, and they weren't raised in moral laws. What are they required to do? And the requirement that came out of Jerusalem is to stay away from idols. So don't worship idols. Makes perfect sense. There is one God, so we only worship him. Uh, stay away from immorality. Makes perfect sense. Specifically, the word they use is fornication, sex out of marriage. And the third thing is don't drink blood. So if, if some of you are prone to drinking blood, <laughs> a little bit of vampire DNA in you, Cease and desist. And all of those have reasons. The blood is out of respect for human life, out of respect for uh, the animal life, how God has created everything. You, you don't abuse the animal kingdom. But then also uh, the fornication, understandable, because uh, marriage is sa sacred to God and uh, idolatry is obvious. But beyond that, the, ch the church in Jerusalem says, follow Jesus. Instead of starting with law and trying to get to God, start with God through Jesus Christ and do what he asks you to do. It's a relationship, not a religion. So that's what Paul is preaching and taking out into the world. And now he brings Timothy along to be uh, his mentee, to be an apprentice 
alongside of him to learn from him. And that's what I just want to talk about for the next few minutes. What he does here is actually what his namesake did right. That is, King Saul, uh, a thousand years before Paul. King Saul, who is often criticized as being a very poor king, a kind of an egomaniac, there's one thing that he did right. And it says in 1 Samuel 14.52, where whenever Saul, Saul saw, that's hard to say, whenever Saul saw a mighty man or brave man, he took him into his service. So he was always looking for a few good men and women to say, God wants to use you. God wants to use you. And I, I do the same. I think any leader that's worth his salt is always looking to replace themselves because we're not going to live forever. So what do we do? We're looking for someone to say, hey, I don't know much, but this is how I do it. This is why I do it. And this is the way I do it. I give you all of my goods. My wife is doing that with our granddaughters. They love to cook, which is just amazing. Uh, sometimes a lost art today. And, and so they'll come over, young age, six and eight, and spend hours with her baking and, and, and focused attention. One time I watched them for four hours, never left the kitchen. <laughs> oh, yeah, let's do this and this and this. And uh, it's what we need to do with our sons and our daughters, dads and moms, but it's also what we need to do within the church. We know a little bit. Find someone in front of you who knows a lot. Walk with them. And find someone behind you that you can say, hey, I don't know much, but what I have, here's how I do it and here's what I do so that they can grow and learn together. So Paul became a father to Timothy. It says in 1 Timothy 1-2, to Timothy, my true son in the faith. Titus was his son. Uh, Philemon was, was kind of his son. Uh, Luke, the writer of the book of Acts, was his spiritual son. These are spiritual sons to the apostle Paul. He says in 2 Timothy 2-2, and the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. So you see this three generations. I'm entrusting it to you. Now you find someone to entrust it to. And I think that's the father's role. Dads, it's obviously a mom's role as well, but this is your day, dads. And If you ask yourself, what is the purpose of being a dad? I would say, if you're like me, I never asked that question until I was 15 years into it. When we had John and Tim, I just said, hey, want to have kids? Be cool, right? Little bit of DNA from you, little bit of DNA from me. Let's just kind of mix it up and see what happens. That's scary, but that's about how we all did it. And then once they're there, we think, what's it all about, Alfie? How are, what, why are we doing what we're doing? And where is, where's the end game here? So I would say the Father's role and purpose is to give your life away to your kids. And what is your life? Your love. What do you love? Love them the most. Give your love to them. What else? Give your wisdom to them. As you've walked through the jungle of life, Give that wisdom. Let them download that from you. And then help them to discover their own calling. That's often something we miss as dads. We want to make them just like us. And if you ask yourself, how many of you in the world do you want? It's a frightening question, right? (laughs) So we don't, we want them to have all the good from us, the love and the wisdom, however much there is. And now we want to help assist them to discover their calling and who God has called them to be. So the way we do that is I think there's four stages. It's I do it, you watch. I do it, you help me. 
you do it, I help you, you do it, and I watch, and you could add a fifth stage, (laughs) bye-bye. The problem today is we often don't do these steps, and we wonder why a 28-year-old doesn't know how to move out into the world. Uh, You know, there's, there's things that kids can know and do. Uh, I was so glad, and you know, Jan's a phenomenal mother, but I was so glad she taught the kids how to do the dishes, which risks a lot and takes a lot more time than doing them yourself, and taught them to do their own laundry. Uh, We never mastered doing their own bedroom. That was, uh, we we just kind of closed the door on that one. (laughs) So you have successes and losses, but then they get married and the rest takes care of itself, you know. But you can teach them a lot. And, they, and here's what they, they become when you're teaching them, uh, is they feel better about themselves. It's a psychological truth. The more I know how to do things, the more I put my shoulders back and feel good about myself because I'm not coward, uh, cowering as I go through the jungle of life. I understand some of the jungle because my mother's taught and dad's taught me. And every time you look through the scripture uh, to find what was passed on and carried on, uh, you find discipleship, mentoring, just like this. Moses to Joshua, Elijah to Elisha, Jesus to the disciples. And it's what you and I get to do as dads. Wherever the movement of the Spirit of God ends in the Bible, you find the lack of discipleship. Someone was phenomenal. They were amazing, and they didn't pass it on, and it just died. So we don't want just to be amazing. We want to be the people that keep it alive. Some of you will remember the name Michael Jordan. I happened to be living on the East Coast, born and raised here in California, moved to New England for six years to plant churches, and we were there during the, the dynasty of the Lakers and the Celtics, that great rivalry that went on between Magic Johnson and Larry Bird. And, uh, and it was just so fun to watch on TV. I could never afford tickets for the Boston Garden, but nor could you ever get any because they were generationally sold and passed on to each generation if you were a true Bostonian. So along comes this young upstart, Michael Jordan. And, and as I watched him, I realized, just as someone who enjoyed basketball, that he was a good player, and this may offend you, but he wasn't great at first. And why wasn't he great at first? Because when Michael Jordan took the court, there was no other player on the court but Michael Jordan. Give me the ball. Give me the ball. And he could fly through the air with the greatest of ease and slam dunk it. And uh, we were just all amazed. But the person who had the greatest assist record still to this day in basketball is Magic Johnson. Because Magic Johnson not only knew how to go to the net, but he also knew that when he was going to the net, because he was so good, he had two or three players guarding him. And that meant some other player on the Lakers was open and he would pass the ball off. They would score. Johnson would get the assist. But then came the day when Magic Johnson went from good to great because he realized what Magic Johnson and Larry Bird already knew, that a great player is not only scoring, but he's looking to see who's open. And so you may be an awesome person. You wake up in the mirror and look, it's me again. Right? I don't think there's many of us here. But my charge to you dads is pass it on. There is a high chance that all of us dads here today will die. There is a very high chance. So what will live on? The love you give to your kids, the wisdom that you give to your kids, what you impart to them. 
That was the card of crack. Now let's move on to the vegetables. Open doors and closed doors. Here's the question. What do we do when opportunities that we expect to happen don't happen? Closed doors. Acts chapter 16, verse 6. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia, Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision um, of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia to help us. After Paul had seen the vision, he got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Notice the us. We got ready and called us. Uh, there's Luke letting you know, Dr. Luke, that uh, he, he's a part of the journey, and, and he's a companion of Paul, who's also discipling him. So... This is a wonderful passage describing the challenge that you and I have discovering the will of God. If God is a personal God, if God is personal, he's loving, he's present, and he's powerful, then I, as a follower of Jesus, can expect his fingerprints in my life. I can expect him leading and guiding me. But it's not what you think. I remember when I was first saved, a Jesus freak, and uh, I, there I was in my VW bus uh, with curtains on it, you know, where I, in the back I kept my band equipment, you know, and I'm, I'm leaving church. I've just been a follower of Jesus for a week, and I come to this signal in, uh, as I'm driving back from Costa Mesa to Santa Ana, um, and uh, I think it was on Fairview or Bristol, and I come to a signal, and, and I pray this prayer. God, the night is young. Do you want me to go home or do you want me to turn right and go share Christ with an old friend? And I thought, I just, I don't know how Christians do this. I hear Christians all the time saying, oh, the Lord spoke to me. I just, Lord led me. I felt that of the Lord. And I, I said, okay, this, how do they do this? Have you ever heard that language all the time? And just kind of like, how do you do it? But it's just flippant language. And so I just said, ooh, the light's turning. I got to decide. Kind of, I'm feeling a little right instead of straight. I'll go right and, and go visit my friend. I got there and no one was home. And I realized this is going to be harder than I thought. It's hard. It's hard to know. Now, here's what's easy to know. The moral will of God. The moral will of God is revealed in Scripture. You know, should I murder anyone today or not? That's really, really clear. Should I steal from anyone? Should I love people as Christ loves me? The moral will of God is right here. But, God, I don't know about this job. Is this going to be a good job or a bad job for me? Is this the right house or the wrong house? Uh, to buy. Should we take a vacation uh, early in the year, later in the year? Shall we go here? Or should we? Those kind of things. We're all uh, looking for God to weigh in. Now, I happen to think that God gives us a lot more latitude than we give ourselves, that we're often aiming for a bullseye when the target is, is like this. God says, you know what? You choose to go to uh, Cabo, or you choose to go to Hawaii, or you choose to go to Dana Point. Your choice. I'm going to bless you regardless. Now, some of you don't have a God like that. You have a God that, no, if you don't go to Dana Point, you're going to regret it the rest of your life. <laughs> and that's a pretty persnickety, neurotic God to follow. Uh, so I, I happen to believe there's a wonderful book called, out called... Uh, Knowing the Will of God by Somebody. (laughs) 
If you email me, I'll, uh, t it, 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 I'll tell you the author. So it's, it's, I think God gives us a lot of latitude, but he has specific ideas. In this text, they decide that they're going to go south into the province of Asia. Let's look back at the map. The province of Asia, you can see where they cut across uh, through modern-day Turkey, and they, they're thinking they're going to go down to Laodicea, uh, Ephesus. Paul does go there later on in the trip, but they want to go down to this very populated area, many, many cities down there, and it says they were kept by the Holy Spirit. So they thought, wow, I don't know. Well, let, then let's go north. You can see where Mycenae is. It's, sorry, it's in the red. I should have uh, put some black print there uh, right before you leave Turkey. There's Mycenae and Troas. So they decide to go up to Bithynia to the north. But the spirit of Jesus, it says in verse 7, would not allow them. Now, I know what you're thinking how did the Holy Spirit keep them from preaching the word in Asia? And how did the Spirit of Jesus not allow them to go? That's the details we would love to know. Was it a prophecy? Was it a vision? Uh, was it a hunch? Uh, was it just talking with each other and that was wisdom? And they decided to say that was the Spirit of God speaking, that was the Spirit of Jesus. And the answer is, we don't know. We absolutely don't know. Uh, but I don't think that the Bible would flippantly use God's name when they just said, you know, that we had some pizza the night before, and based on the pizza, we felt that we should not go south or north. So there was something that happened that they all agreed this is the Spirit of God. So closed doors to the north, closed doors to the south. What do you do? A lot of us, unfortunately, give up at that point. We throw our papers up in the air and they say, well, then who can know the will of God? Who knows what God is doing? And we could go back home and say, well, if God's not going to show us anything, we're just going to give up. God isn't in this. And a lot of times when we experience closed doors, we think either God doesn't care, God doesn't love us, or he's not leading or guiding us. All bad conclusions. If you go into a hallway and there's doors that are locked, let's say there's seven doors and you try three of them that are locked and you decide, whatever, they're all locked, and you leave the hallway... That's either laziness or stupidity. At least stay curious enough to, to try the other doors. Because one of them might be an open door. So in this case, they press on westward. We can't go north, we can't go south, but we can go west, which is the way we've been go going. God must have something for us there, and it's important for us to do that first. Paul, later on, will go down to the south and minister, but for now, they press on to the west. Now, I believe another thing that's often unfortunately missed is that God's leading is a beautiful blend of natural planning and human effort combined with supernatural guidance. A lot of people are heavy on the supernatural guidance, kind of like horoscope. It's like, well, okay, what do we got today? Is there a Bible promise card that, woo, okay. It's kind of like fortune cookies, you know. Uh, this is the way I'm going to lead my life today. And, um, or we're heavy on just the human side, but that's so uh, dualistic. Why not holistic? God is working through your wisdom. God is working through your wants. He wants you to want things. You're made in his image. He has a will, which is to want, and he's created you in his image, and you have wants, and you happen to like pistachio ice cream. So God is not going to convert you to like chocolate chip peanut butter ice cream. That's just not in his agenda. You have your want. 
enjoy your want. You like jazz over rock. Enjoy your want. But there are certain wants where he's going to try to align you with what he wants, not only the moral will, but also circumstantial will because of what's important, what he can see down the road over the mountain that you cannot see. So they press on. They just stay faithful. Just stay faithful. And they get to Troas, and that's when they get the vision of the Macedonia man saying, come over here, and, and God speaks to him. So just to summarize, passivity with the will of God is not good. Just Kesarosera, I don't know what God wants, I'm just, I don't even care. No, that's not good. Or being strong-willed selfish is not good. God wants us to want, but he's, he's in the process, he's not only taking you somewhere, but he's changing you. And this is what I find. He uses the closed doors to change me. Do you know the word frustration? Frustration is like an erosion on the soul that erodes my selfishness. It just takes away the obstinate and the uh, hard-headedness of me as I have to wait on the Lord. And he begins to align my will with his will. Because I so often are saying, God, is it A or B? You got to tell me. Is it blue or red? And he says, it's purple. And he begins to take me into his direction. I had a, this very experience uh, this week. Um, I was having breakfast with uh, Jacqueline and Yvette Isaac, who are uh, Egyptian-American friends of ours from Orange County in San Diego. And if you'll remember, Jacqueline was with us in our first film uh, to Iraq, and uh, she was met us over there again for our second filming. And um, she was reminding me of what happened there and how the will of God directed us. So we went over to Iraq to find out how the Christians and the Yazidis, which are a minority, another religious minority in Iraq, how they were faring uh, since ISIS had been defeated. And so we went over to film and we envisioned three specific things. A guy from the UN was flying down to meet us in Mosul, and we are going to film him there. A bishop was going to meet us there. We were going to film him. And... uh, and we were going to film some people that we had filmed before only in Mosul. Guess what? Two days before we left, we found out that we can't get into Mosul, that it's not safe and it's dangerous. And uh, ISIS has just simply shaved its beard, but they're, they're still around. And secondly, the Iraqi militia, which is primarily armed and personnel manned by Iran has taken up all the slack that ISIS left, and, uh, and the Christians are now not able to go back to their land. It's even worse than we thought before. And I'm finding all of this out as we're getting onto the airplane, and I'm thinking, what's the will of God? Should we have gone? Should we not go? I don't know. And so we're kind of like Paul, just heading out. And is, what, How is this going to work? The first miracle was we meet this guy because we just found out that the, the guy from the UN is not coming down because Mosul is, is unable to be entered. Uh, Joel Parker is sitting next to a guy that he begins to have a conversation with who happens to be the head a PhD at the university in, in De Hook uh, regarding minorities in Iraq. And he would love for us to film him and be the authority. We said, wow, he knows more than this guy from the UN. That's a lot. He's on the plane. He's sitting right next to us. So then we find out the bishop's not going to be there. Uh, and I won't go into that and why, but uh, we, we filmed this other guy. It was just amazing. And then the biggest thing was we find out that there's a Christian girl who has just recently been set free from ISIS four weeks ago. And they said, do you want to interview her? Well, yeah. 
I'm just Mr. Magoo saying, yeah, it sounds cool. What I don't know is Jackie with the UN is trying to document Christians who have been raped, uh, displaced, persecuted by ISIS so they can charge them, these specific people who are still alive in Iraq with war crimes. The Yazidis are doing it and the Christians are behind in doing it. How are we going to get the data on Christians? And here's one. Because Christians are in a culture where nobody wants to admit that they've been raped because they're looked down on within the Christian culture because of their, their sexual background. And, and so it's hard to get them to come out and tell their story. And so here's someone. We're filming her. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, where is Jackie? Jackie needs to meet her. And I'm texting Jackie. She hadn't arrived yet or just had arrived and was back at the hotel. And then the guy sitting next to her with an organization called Slomo, um, he has all the documentation of all the Christians. Fastidious, computerized documentation on every single person displaced, abused, uh, murdered, raped by ISIS who are Christians. Where is Jackie? And then someone later on says, hey, we found this guy that uh, has been setting people free from ISIS, and he has all kinds of documentation. Six of them are doing this, times 70. Each of them have done 70 people, and they have all the documentation. And this wasn't why we went to Iraq. We went to Iraq to just find out, how's everybody doing post-ISIS? But God had something bigger in mind, which was the documentation of the persecution of Christians for the UN to have so that they can prosecute ISIS. Man. But it wouldn't have happened without a closed door. (laughs) Closed doors are your friend. A no is as good as a yes. It's just not the no you wanted. I wanted them to be my wife. And they said no. That's a good answer. If she's saying no to you right now, she's going to say no to you 10 years from now. Greet the closed door uh, like Mr. Magoo. Just that God has a plan for this, and he's working it all out, but he's changing me. Now for the chocolate pecan pie, or was that the pie? I think that was the vegetables. The chocolate pecan pie, prison and praise. Here's the question. What do you do when circumstances, people, and your own emotions are so negative that you want to give up? Ever been there? He has. (laughs) Anybody else? Yeah. You're in prison. I mean, I feel sometimes I'm in prison in this culture. I don't dare watch too much of the news. It's like, well, that felt good, you know. You know, it's just like broken, 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 bad, bad, broken, 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 broken. Never going to be good again. Well, that's great. Then, so that's circumstances. Then my own emotions. Like, wow just doesn't feel good, doesn't feel right, and oh, it's just been such a bad day. So circumstances, people, and emotions can be shouting to me to give up. So if you look at the map again, Paul gets the vision up in northwestern Turkey, Troas, which used to be called Troy, city of Troy, you know, uh, to come over to Macedonia. Today, Macedonia is its own separate country, but in those days, because of Alexander the Great being a Greek, it was northern Greece, and Philippi is part of that. So they set sail, and they come to the city of Philippi. And I'm going to just tell you this story because there's too many verses to read, but Paul goes to the river there in Philippi. We've been to that river. He meets this lady who's a Jewish uh, trader in purple, which is uh, a dyed garments that are very expensive, and, and she becomes a believer. 
She invites them to stay. Open door, they're following, and God is blessing. And they keep going down to meet with her and others at the place of prayer, probably down by the river. But they uh, take on this leech of a woman who happens to be a fortune teller. And through her fortune telling, she, it, it, I, this would be verse 16, she actually guides businessmen as to what to invest in. There's a little bit that the world of darkness knows about the future. That's why people consult with fortune tellers. They know just a little bit, but they also don't know certain things, and they can also lie. And that's why the Bible forbids you and I as believers to consult in that, that we need to consult God. But she begins to follow Paul and Silas saying, these men are proclaiming the way of salvation. They are servants of the Most High God. These men, now that you would think that that's good publicity, but everybody knows her as a woman of darkness. And they're correlating Paul with her. So finally, Paul, after a few days, just says to Silas, I'm sorry, I've had it. And he turns around and he does one of his ghost-busting maneuvers. He just says, in the name of Jesus, come out of her. And the demon leaves, but guess what? All of her fortune-telling powers are gone. And I have discovered through my travels, if you will be allowed to do whatever you want to do until you tr touch the money, till you touch the control and power of a local area, and then suddenly all hell breaks loose. Because we people, we want our money. And so Paul now has touched the money of these business people, so they now beat him and Silas. They seize him in the marketplace. They strip them. They beat them in, in verse 22. Verse 23, they throw them into prison. And verse 24, they put them in an inner cell, fasten their feet in the stocks. Now, is that a bad day? Is it okay to complain? Just say, oh. Is it okay to just be in a bad mood? Well, the question is, how long do you want to be in a prison? You are physically in a prison, but do you need to be emotionally in a prison? You are physically in a prison, but does your mindset need to be that God now is trapped, that God now can't do what he wants to do. So Paul and Silas say, no, we have a big God. So guess what they do? They begin to worship and praise God. Folks, we got to learn to do this. we got to learn to do this. At midnight, verse 25, they were praying and singing hymns, and the other prisoners were listening to them, not usual prisoner behavior. When you find yourself in darkness, you can either suck and celebrate darkness or you can cr turn on the light. Your choice, I can't promise your circumstances are going to change. They didn't do this to change their circumstances. They did this because it's truth. God is in charge. God one day wins. God has exhibited his love for you at the cross and the resurrection. He's told you about his love at the second coming of Christ, but we're in this slack in the rope right here, and are we going to focus on the slack? Are we going to focus on the faith and hope that are ours and change our present situation by looking at who God is and what he's done for us? And what happens as they begin to praise God is suddenly there is a violent earthquake. The foundations of the prison were shaken, verse 26. At once, the, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. I've been to the building. Half, it's only uh, partially still there up to my knees. But I've been to the building there in Philippi where the prison was. And the jailer woke up. He saw the prison doors open. He figures he's going to be killed for not doing his job, so he decides to kill himself. And uh, Paul tells him, stop. Don't harm yourself. We're all still here. The jailer comes in, verse 29, uh, trembling before Paul. And he says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? 
And they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. So that night, he believes in the Lord Jesus Christ. His family believes in the Lord Jesus Christ. He takes the prisoners home to his house. He washes all their wounds. He feeds them. And then by morning, takes them back into the prison. The magistrates feel horrible about this because they find out that they've beaten Paul and Silas uh, and they have no evidence for what they did. And so they say, you know, we just got to get rid of these guys and ask them to leave town. Paul then says, not on your life. I'm a Roman citizen and it's illegal for you to do this. I'm turning you in to the emperor. And they freak out. And so Paul says, then come here and apologize. You know, Paul had a feisty nature to him, you know. Uh, and, and so they come and they apologize and beg them to pre- please leave. And, uh, and then Paul does after he meets with the uh, new Christians in Philippi. And then you read the rest of the book of Philippians and you find out that this is an entire book on joy. Joy and happiness whether you look at it from a a scriptural standpoint or even from a psychological standpoint, joy and happiness is a choice. We think of it as something that water skis behind circumstances. When circumstances are amazing, then we say, praise God, I love life. And when circumstances are bad, we say, eh. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in. But what if joy is not a follower of circumstances, but what if joy actually creates circumstances? What if joy changes your mindset and has that kind of power? And so they begin to do that, and voila, the prison doors are from prison to praise. Colonel Crothers wrote a great book about that uh, 40 years ago. Jehoshaphat in the Old Testament did the same thing. Jehoshaphat, this great king that um, sent the army out to battle against the enemy, and this Israelite king put singers in front of the army. Can you imagine if the U.S. military did that? (laughs) No one would understand. So, the Israelite army had singers praising God because they knew where the power came from. And the text tells us in 2 Chronicles chapter 20 that the Lord ambushed the enemy before the army could get there. Joy releases power. Praise releases power. So it's not something that we say after but it's actually, we declare it contrary to what circumstances are shouting, contrary to what my emotions are emoting, and contrary to what people are telling me and their negativity. I get all that, but it doesn't take a rocket scientist to document what is wrong with the world. How is that intelligent? If you... there. This music stand has a little piece of glue on it here, and it's bent right here in the left. It doesn't take me to have intelligence to tell you about that. But what does take intelligence is to see beyond what everybody else doesn't see, and that is that there is a good God. A good God who loves you, a good God who has plans for you, for good and not for ill, a future and a hope, a good God that cares about people around you. And yes, there's brokenness in your life and my life and in this world. But that's why Jesus came, isn't it? So, hello, we're not in heaven yet. We're living in occupied Germany. We, we are living in, in, in the kingdom of darkness. So we have splashes of God's love and kingdom around us, but still, the story isn't over yet. The second coming hasn't happened yet. And so we have to have our helmet and our armament ready and and wearing it, and part of that is praise. 
I've told you the story of my wife's employer. She worked as an assistant in a church while I was in seminary in Pasadena. And this guy was a 6'6", former uh, tight end for UCLA, played in the, in the Rose Bowl and went into the ministry. And he was just this big, big guy. And he would come in Monday morning. And Monday morning is often a down day for pastors. Because Monday morning, we, all, we second guess ourselves. Oh, I should have said this in the first service on Sunday morning. Or why did I say that? And you, know, and you, you play the, the, the tape in your mind over and over again. That's why I never watch myself. It's too discouraging. <laughs> so he would come in and wake up his soul. It, the office was on the second or third floor. And he would, when the elevator doors opened, he would say... My God is on the throne. And we knew that Kent Tucker was there. And he'd walk in. He was talking to himself. He was talking to himself. Folks, we got to wake up our souls and not let circumstances, people, and our emotions control us. You need to step into the driver's seat and control your own vehicle through the power of the Holy Spirit and the truth of the Holy Spirit. Jan and I, when we uh, were right out of college, she was finishing. Uh, she was finishing a few units of college, and I was working in a bookstore for a buck sixty-five an hour with a double major. And I'm thinking, so this is the future of my life. I should have listened to my dad when he said, why are you getting a major in sociology and religious studies? It will go nowhere. And I'm thinking, it went nowhere, you know. (laughs) And Jan and I, it's our first two months of being married, and we're trying to work that out. And she's taking way too many units to finish up in college and you could just feel the negativity in the room. And I said, you know what? We need to practice what the Bible says. Are you game? And she says, yeah. I said, let's do this. Let's wake up our souls. So we closed all the windows so the neighbors wouldn't think we were psychotic. (laughs) And I said to Jan, Okay, on the count of three, one, two, three. And we shouted at the top of our lungs, praise the Lord. And we kind of looked at each other like, (laughs) wow. But we both felt it. We had startled our souls because our souls had been believing circumstances, people, and emotions. Our souls are just like, whoa, what was that? And I said, Let's do it again. <laughs> well, and t- we did it three times. Uh, and I felt like we just uh, called down truth from heaven. We called down the Holy Spirit to take control of our lives. That He's King Jesus, not King Sadness, not King Circumstances, but King Jesus is enthroned in this life. So, three things today. Dads, come on, let's be dads and mentor well, both in our family, pass it on, and in the church here. Um, God is leading you. Closed doors are just as good as open doors. Uh, Find out, be patient, keep going. Find out where those open doors are, and then finally, do it with God. Do it with God, His truth. Reboot your soul with the truth of God. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you this day on Father's Day that we are not victims of circumstances. And in this muddy world that we can bust out of prison. And uh, God, I pray today for those that are, have been imprisoned by circumstances and emotions and other people's opinions. Holy Spirit, would you come down and shake their prison and set them free through praise. We pray, Father, for you to birth hope in our lives, that you are leading and guiding us.
And we ask that your will would be done in our lives as it is in heaven. And we pray, God, for a fresh mantle of an anointing on the dads here uh, and the granddads to pass it on to the next generation. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening this week. If you're looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, please visit our website, northcoastcalvary.org.